Last week we had a passage which had a context of what happened when the people of God had ignored his warnings as it pertains to idolatry. And last week our whole perspective had shifted from why has God abandoned the Israelites to wait a minute, no, 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 the Israelites had abandoned God. And yet, you know, that is just one isolated incident in the scriptures. And as it pertains to human suffering, it really does beg the question of, what if I have listened to God? What if we are walking in the light only to be firebombed with one form of suffering after another? This is what we find in the book of Job, which is where we will be for just a few moments here this morning. In the book of Job, it, it asked that age-old question of why do God's faithful ones suffer along with all of those who do not believe and, and who reject God? In fact, the way that we are introduced to Job in chapter 1 and in verse 1, it says that, that he was a blameless man who was upright, one who feared God and who turned away from evil. A little bit later on here in chapter 1, God himself is going to to eventually speak about Job. And the way that he speaks about Job is, is that there is no one on the earth who is quite like Job. Once again, he repeats it and he says, he is a blameless man, one who fears God, and who turns away from that which is evil. And as all of us know, in just a matter of a few moments, Job loses his vast wealth. And then he loses all ten of his children. And now in chapter 2, here is also what happens. Where it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot, all the way up to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And as this very strange and sad year had started, I remember back in January listening on the radio to, to a song and its chorus was, was repeating over and over again, I don't want to be alone in the darkness. I don't want to be alone in the darkness anymore. And as Job starts, I mean, this is where we find Job. We find Job alone in the darkness. And I just love so much about the Hebrew people, how intentional they are about grief. Grief is not something that they avoid or are in denial of, but rather what we find in Hebrew ritual mourning is, I mean, they, they embrace it with every fiber of their being. This is what we find Job doing as, as he hears all of this heartbreaking and devastating news as he rips his robe apart. Job shaves his head. He, he sits down on the ground in sackcloth and in ashes, which, which was the ancient Hebrew expression of mourning, of heartache, of, of sorrow. Now, what we read in the text about how he had these loathsome sores, it is at least widely held, and it's believed, that this is a description of what was known of as, as extreme black leprosy. Or it would begin with these red spots on the body, but then it would progress, it would become black scars, and then ulcers. Until eventually, 
your face and your skin would become so distorted that you would actually resemble an elephant. And if this is true, if Job is indeed now a leper at this point, he, he is now living in isolation, apart from all the rest of civilization. Job has lost his wealth. Job has lost his net worth, his children, his family. And now even his own dignity has been robbed of him. As he's sitting down in ashes in the darkness, scraping himself with broken shards. I mean, he is just restless in his grieving. And yet, as all of us knows, though, his, his darkness looms even darker, though. As he has a few friends, and these friends of his start becoming very philosophical in speculation about, okay, Job, here is why all of this is happening to you. And Bildad just begins speculating recklessly that, well, it's because all of those children that you had, they were very sinful people. I mean, they had to have been very sinful. And so they got what was coming to them, more or less. Well, a little bit later on after that, he's got another friend. And, and this other friend of his, Eliphaz, he begins speculating that, well, it's because, Job, you really don't believe in God as much as we do. Because if you did believe in God, these things would not be happening to you. And so whatever your secret sin is that you were concealing from everybody else, just get it out in the open and get on with the rest of your life, he's saying. And I mean, this is something that, that still happens even now in the world of today. Where a few years ago, as they had earthquakes in Haiti, Pat Robertson, who is a televangelist, he just, you know, he just goes on the air and he says, well, it's because all of those people worship the devil. And so they got what was coming to them. I've spoken before about where I was at a church not that long ago, and we had a deacon there who told a friend of mine that the reason why his wife had died of cancer just about three or four years into their very young marriage is because, after all, she was never really a Christian in the first place. And so she deserved to die of cancer at 39 years of age. I mean, I, I actually heard him say that to my friend. It's something that even the apostles had struggled with early on, at least. Where in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, Jesus and the apostles encounter a man who had been blind from his youth. John chapter 9 and verse 2 says, And his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born as a blind person? And yet what we find again and again in Scripture is that when a person is suffering, it is not always automatically because that person had been living in rebellion with regard to God. And I love so much the way that Job, how he responds to his friends, chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Oh, if you would just keep silence. If you would just stop speculating, stop jumping to all of these reckless conclusions and just say absolutely nothing and for that to be your wisdom. And I mean, whenever we ourselves have been sitting alone in the darkness, grieving, mourning, whatever it may have been, 
the last thing in the world we ever needed was a person to just start speculating and start judging us. But rather what we need is, is a person silently sitting right next to us as a silent way of, of expressing to us, I am here with you. I love you and we're going to get through this together. As Jesus also responds to his apostles there, what he, what he says is, is that it was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So again and again we see that it's not always automatically because that person had been a horrible sinner and God is giving them what was rightfully coming their way all that time. And yet, as we also know, though, it gets even worse in Job's life, though. As we go back to our text in Job chapter 2, and we come into verse 9, the one and only person Job still has left in his life, the one person who he is looking to for support and for comfort, that person is saying in verse 9, and she asks him a question. His wife says to Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? And then she says, curse God and die. Of all people, it is his wife who is now a slithering serpent in Job's Eden of sorrow. Just curse God and die, Job. And for a very long time, whenever I would read about her or even hear her referenced in messages growing up, I would always picture this, this mean, nasty woman, something like Cruella DeVille. And yet the older that I get, though, and the more that I am living and, and suffering in this world, really the more I can now sympathize with this woman. Now, what she said was absolutely wretched. And yet, it's also such a human thing to say. It's such an honest inquiry that she's making of her husband in this situation. I mean, when we suffer, it is in our human nature that we have to know the why and the how about how all of this is coming about in our life. And so what Job's wife is saying to him is, is you're wasting your time, Job. You're wasting your life away. Can't you see that, that this God of yours has absolutely no regard for you? What she's saying to her husband is, is, is a God who allows all of this pain and suffering really worthy of our confidence, of our worship, and of our trust? And so what her solution is, it had to have been such a temptation to Job in this moment where, where she says, curse God and die. Now in the original Hebrew language, what this literally means is, is another way of expressing this would have been just renounce God and be destroyed. Now it's very interesting that in the ancient world, that a lot of times this was the relationship with, with a lot of people and their pagan gods. Where if a worshiper of Baal or of Asherah had fallen upon very hard times, and those hard times had not exactly magically immediately gone, gone away, a, a lot of times this is exactly what they would do. They would curse their false god and then, 
in their own minds, this, this was a means of them going out of their own misery. Thinking that, that they were evoking all of the wrath of that God. And yet regardless of what her reasoning is here though, what we see is a very inaccurate perception of who God is. And we can look at the world of today in 2020. And we can see this identical misconception about who God is. Of this attitude of God is only God if my life is one never-ending cotton candy trip to Disney World. And yet the very moment that, that all of those thrills and comforts start being taken away from me, then what do we do with this God of ours? We just cast him aside and we doubt his existence. And we want nothing to do with him until our lives once again return to a Disney World life and persona. And yet this was not the attitude of Job though. As Job loses his wealth and even all ten of his children, chapter 1 and verse 20, we, we absolutely marvel at his attitude. Where it says, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Then what he says is, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And then what he says is, blessed be the name of the Lord. It says that in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Then in our text, after he also loses his dignity and his, and his health, chapter 2 and in verse 10 it says, as, as his wife says, curse God and die, Job's reaction to this is, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not also receive what is evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. I mean, what a beautiful response to suffering. And I mean, there are just so many things that we can learn from Job's attitude, isn't there? And is it not that trials are absolutely indiscriminate? How it doesn't matter if we have no money and we're living in the streets, or if we are one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, as Job was. Trials and adversity and tribulation is coming our way and in profusion. And yet something else that we, we really do notice in the book of Job, though, is that even in the darkness, even when we bow our heads low and it feels as if we are all alone in the darkness, even there, we are never alone. How Job found that how this God of mine is just as worthy to be worshipped here as he was when I had all of that money and herds and flocks and possessions and all ten of my, my children here. I am still worshiping is what his attitude was. A week ago, I was watching a documentary on Michael Jordan and on the Chicago Bulls. And at one point, it reminisced all the way back to 1983 as Michael Jordan had been in college. And he, and he hits a shot against Georgetown and North Carolina wins a national championship. And what came out of Michael Jordan's mouth as they showed that clip was that when I hit that shot, that was the moment I went from being Mike Jordan to Michael Jordan. 
And as we read the book of Job, it was in all of these trials and all of these heartbreaking sorrows and tragedies where Job went from being Job to Job, who we know as this, this incredible heroic figure still to this day, all of these thousands of years after the fact. You see, it was the wilderness that God used in order to get the Egypt out of the Hebrews. Adversity is where the Apostle Paul learns humility and he let go of all of his pride and, and arrogance and snobbery. And really, the exact same is true for you as well as for me. Is that it is in pain, it's in suffering and tragedy and in the darkness where our character is really forged. Where we experience fellowship with God, with the man of sorrows himself. This is where we become those men and those women who only God, through His Holy Spirit, can make us. And yet that will only happen, though, when we choose worship and, and confidence in the midst of our darkness. Last week at Westchester Church, our beloved friend and elder, Jim Lowry, passed away. And as I look back and I remember what jumps out at me most about Jim. Over and over again, it is suffering, suffering, suffering. I mean, here's a man who grew up in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, in the deep South as a black man. A man who had battled cancer for, for at least 12 years until just last week who just one year ago not merely broke a leg, but also his arm, and who walked, had a cane in his hand, walked with a limp, just so much pain, so much suffering. And yet, what I remember most about Jim is what his attitude was in all of that pain and suffering. What I heard him quote more than anything by far is to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I mean, that is where Jim's heart was. That is where his attitude was. Jim worshipped God in the darkness. And I mean, there is just something about men of God whose, whose names start with the letter J, whether it is Job or it's Jim. Well, maybe this morning you, you find yourself sitting alone in the darkness. And yet if you are not there right now, I can guarantee you, you will be eventually. I will also be there very soon. So maybe what we need to ask ourselves when these times come, if we're there right now, is, is just simply this. Have I worshipped? Have I remembered God's goodness? Have I reminisced? At the point of realizing that, that God's grace has brought me all the way to where I am right now. Have I prayed to Him? Have I sung to Him? You see, it's not about our convenience in this world. It's not about our luxury or our comfort. But rather, it is all about taking all of this suffering, all of this heartache, and letting God do beautiful things with that. As He transforms you and transforms me in the darkness. 
even in the darkness, my brothers and sisters, we are never, ever, ever alone.